Welcome to Reconquest on the Crusade Premium Channel, parts of the Veritas Radio Network. This is Brother Andre Marie coming to you from St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire. Our email address, or our, rather, our websites are Catholicism.org and Reconquest.net. Our email address, if you want to get me, and it is my email address, is BAM at Catholicism.org. That's BAM at Catholicism.org. I can also be found on Twitter at Brother underscore Andre, and I'm easily found on Facebook. Just go to Facebook and search for Brother Andre Marie. Tonight's show is episode number 115, and we're calling it On the Friendship of Jesus Christ. On the Friendship of Jesus Christ. And this is a solo show. I don't I don't have a guest um, today. Um, so the question is asked, is Jesus really our friend? There is a popular Protestant hymn uh, written by a, a lawyer slash Christian hymnist uh, or hymnographer, I guess, named Charles Crozat Converse uh, in the 19th century. He wrote it in 1855, rather in 1868, he wrote the hymn. It's called, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. Um, it's very, very popular in Protestant circles. Um, it's based on an 1855 poem. In fact, it's simply a musical setting of the exact words of an 1855 poem called Pray Without Ceasing by an Irishman, um, a member of the Plymouth Brethren, a sect that we've discussed before on this show, named Joseph M. Scriven or Scriven, I'm not sure how he says it. Um, Converse's hymn was something in the day, ever since it was published, um, and still today of a classic uh, in the um, uh, hymn book of the Protestant Anglosphere. And it's kind of interesting how popular this is. Uh, if you go to YouTube and look, search for the, the song, You'll find versions of it by Stephen Curtis Chapman and Ricky Skaggs. You'll find Mahalia Jackson, uh, Alabama, the, the, the Southern Fried Rock Band singing it. I guess they're getting religion now. Aretha Franklin, uh, Willie Nelson, uh, and a whole host of others. I think I saw Glenn Campbell. Um, a lot of it's country guys, uh, a lot, but a lot of it's uh, also African-American sort of gospel style, like, like uh, Mahalia Jackson and Aretha Franklin's. And there are many, 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 many more. A, a, a lady was popular back in the 50s named Patty Page. She recorded it. You can find that on YouTube. I, I'm going to just have a little fun here. And since uh, I can't resist a good mandolin, I'm going to um, play for just just the, probably the first verse, um, the version that was recorded at Grand Ole Opry by Stephen Curtis Chapman and Ricky Skaggs. Ricky Skaggs is, is an amazing uh, mandolin player. Whatever you think of the hymn, so just listen for a couple of minutes, and we'll and we'll um, uh, we'll come back, and and I'll actually go through the words of the hymn because I want to discuss the subject. our sins and griefs to bear and what a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer oh what we often forfeit oh 
everything to God in praise. Okay, so that that's enough of that. And sorry, there was a little bit of a hiccup there in the audio. Um, my um, browser is doing something funny if I happen to move my cursor over the YouTube's video image while it's playing. Anyway, so that's that's the hymn, and that's, again, c- courtesy of Stephen Curtis Chapman and Ricky Skaggs and the Grand Ole Opry. Now, here are the words to the hymn. Um, we just heard the first verse. Uh, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear, all because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Second verse, have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Verse 3. Are we weak and heavy laden, cumbered with a load of care? Precious Savior, still our refuge. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Do thy friends despise, forsake thee. Take it to the Lord in prayer. In his arms he'll take and shield thee. Thou wilt find a solace there. So that's uh, those are the words to, again to the original poem by um, Plymouth Brethren member Joseph M. Scriven, um, and set to music by the Protestant lawyer slash hymnographer Charles Crozat Converse. Um, so <clears throat> why are we talking about this here on Reconquest on the Crusade Premium Channel, part of the Veritas Radio Network, ready the way it should be? Why, oh why, on Reconquest am I talking about a Protestant hymn? Well, it's a very, 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 very popular hymn, and the, and the, and the idea of friendship with Jesus is very prevalent in a lot of Protestant circles, especially the kind of um, Protestantism, uh, be it um, either Pentecostalism or um, the uh, African American um, uh, church variety of Protestantism, or the various um, sects that were born out of the um, the, the various uh, f- the first, second, and third great revivals uh, of Protestantism in this country, which I would guess includes some evangelical sects. Uh, the more emotional kind of Protestantism, which I think makes up for a kind of coldness and frigidity that's present in Calvinism, uh, and also a coldness and frigidity that's going to be present in any religion that doesn't have a real liturgy, they needed to do something to make the religious experience more emotional. And I'm not playing the sociologist here. I just think that this is a, a critique that will hold. Um, but um, I'm, and, I'm, and considering the lyrics of the, of the hymn, uh, there's nothing wrong with it. I mean, from a Catholic dogmatic point of view, there's absolutely nothing wrong with it. It might be a little hokey. It might be a little, a little on the kitsch side. Um, it certainly doesn't compare to um, um, Palestrina or Tomas Luis Victoria or uh, any of the great Catholic music, music of the ages of faith, but then again, it, it uh, sure smacks the heck out of glory and praise and other modern Catholic garbage that's sung in those sort of churches. Anyway, be, be that as it may, the answer to the question, is Jesus our friend, is, is yes. I mean, of course, there's, a, there's an if there, <laughs> if, we're, if we're in his grace. 
Uh, if we're united to him by faith, hope, charity, and sanctifying grace, yes, he is our friend. Uh, this is true even though he's Christ the King, he's the head of the mystical body, he is our Redeemer, he's our Savior, he's the eternal and incarnate wisdom, he's the Almighty Lord and God and one of the Holy Trinity. Even then, we can call Jesus Christ friend, and we only know this because he revealed it. And in fact, we can call the whole Trinity friend. We can call each person of the Trinity friend because we, we stand in a relationship of friendship. But to grasp the truth of this and how this is possible, we have to consider two things. First, the nature of friendship, something that is woefully misunderstood in contemporary men and what it is that Jesus came to establish in his earthly mission, namely man's elevation into supernatural grace. Um, So to put the matter of uh, friendship very simply, true friendship is a love based upon mutual goodwill or benevolence. True friendship wishes the good of the other and does not see him merely as a source of pleasure or utility. So much of friendship today is based upon what St. Thomas Aquinas would call the amor concupiscentiae, the love of concupiscence, which is to say a, a, love, a love derived from I get pleasure out of this thing, uh, be it a thing or, or a person. Um, and, of, of course, it's to thingify or to objectify a person when that person just becomes for us a source of pleasure. And I don't mean simply, I don't mean only venereal pleasure or or sexual pleasure. I mean any kind of pleasure. Even your even your perfectly normal heterosexual buddy, uh, and you and he go out. You're he's your drinking buddy or whatever. If the only basis of the friendship is the good times you have together, that's not true friendship. There were lots and lots and lots of classical treatises on friendship, especially Cicero's De Amicitia. Uh, Cicero, the 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 Roman um, uh, orator, uh, statesman, philosopher, and uh, sort of moral philosopher, one of the Stoics. He wrote this work that became the basis of a lot of Christian commentaries on friendship. St. Augustine had studied Cicero's De Amicitia, and he based his ideas on friendship. Uh, on Cicero. I mean, of course, he baptized it. He supernaturalized it. Um, St. Thomas, of course, at times borrows from Cicero as well, whom he calls Tully, because his, um, one of his names was Tullius. Um, but uh, anyway, Cicero had, had ideas on, on, on friendship that were very, very elevated. And this is the point. This is the, the first point we need to make about friendship, the nature of friendship. It is an elevated thing. It's not just your buddy. It's not just your pal. And this is one disadvantage today of talking about the friendship of Jesus because we don't understand what friendship is. It is this love of benevolence where we wish the good of the other. Now, friendship, when we're talking about a created, with a created person, with another creature, um, uh, sometimes it demands that we correct that person. Sometimes it demands that we rebuke that person. Sometimes it demands that we temporarily withdraw friendship, even if that is difficult, for that person's good because that person isn't being what he ought to be. And we should show him that by pulling a little bit back and being a little bit more um, aloof from him so that he realizes that if he wants to be our friend, he has to be good. Um, This is something that's not appreciated by modern men at all. And people think, well, he's my friend. I have to be there with him all the time. Yes, but you really must want to help him. And sometimes that means, look, if you're going to be absolutely incorrigible in this sin, we're no longer friends. 
and that might be the, the, the very cure that he needs for his ill. So um, if you want to read more about the classical, especially the Ciceronian concept of friendship, I wrote a piece years ago. It's a paper that was, I wrote in preparation for a conference talk called St. Augustine and Friendship. Actually, it's got a longer title. It's um, Friends Forever, St. Augustine, uh, Augustine, Friendship, and Catholic Evangelization. And it'll be linked from the Reconquest uh, show details page for this particular show. It's about 28 pages. Um, but that piece uh, will go into some detail on St. Augustine's ideas of friendship, what he borrowed from Cicero. But for now, let's just, let's just uh, cut, to the, cut to the chase and, and get to the very essence and, 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 and kernel of what friendship is in the classical conception, and that, it, that is, it is a love based upon mutual goodwill or benevolence, and those are the same thing. Benevolence comes from benevolencia in Latin, meaning literally to wish good to the other. Um, our Lord himself came to establish just that kind of relationship between God and man. Uh, to establish it required two things, though, both of which he accomplished in his incarnation. First, God's condescension, that is, his coming down to our level. This happened in the incarnation. I don't mean his morally coming down to our level. I mean by the hypostatic union, by the union of two natures, his ontologically coming down uh, to our level by joining himself to a to a to a human creature, to to a created human, uh, uh, not person, but to a created human nature, the 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 Jesus Christ is remember is a divine person, but there is a created human nature there. To that man, the second person of the Trinity is united in a hypostatic union. That is to say, in a union of two natures. Um, that's the first thing God, our Lord had to do. It condescend, literally to come down to somebody else's level. The second thing that he had to do uh, is to accomplish man's divinization by grace. In other words, to elevate man up to a divine level, which happens by grace. It doesn't make us equal to God, of course, but it brings us into a supernatural order and makes us children of God so that we partake of the divine nature, to use St. Peter's uh, very, very powerful phrase in Scripture. It's as if the Holy Roman Emperor were to stoop down to a poor little child and say, without at all losing any of his sacral or imperial dignity, I want to be your friend, and then takes the little tattered street urchin and makes him a privileged member of the imperial household. What our Lord accomplished is like that, but it's much more extreme in the chasm that it bridges between God and man. Jesus first called his disciples friends in his discourse after the Last Supper, when he had given them himself in Holy Communion that most intimate and elevated of all of the acts of friendship we can think of. Of course, our Lord laid down his life for his disciples, as he said, uh, greater love than this hath no man than to lay down his life for his friends. So our Lord, our Lord did that, but th- the ongoing union that we achieve with our Lord, or that rather he achieves with us by giving us Holy Communion, by sharing himself with us, body, blood, soul, divinity, that is the most intimate thing that any Christian um, can hope to do in his life. And it is a true act of friendship. It's a sharing 
that Jesus Christ does. On his part, he shares him, himself with us. But on our part, we ought to share ourselves as well. We ought to be receptive and self-surrendering at the time of Holy Communion. Not only receiving Jesus and being willing to take in all of his love that he wants to give us in Holy Communion, but also surrendering back to him our very selves in love. And by the way, that's what a friend is, somebody who loves you. Uh, amicus in Latin is the word for friend. We get amigo in, in Spanish from it. Um, Don Amici, the actor, his name comes from the Italian word for friends, uh, which comes from the Latin. So uh, amicus means friend, and it literally means loved one. It comes from amo amare, to love in Latin. Now, our Lord first told the disciples of, of, of his friendship at the Last Supper, but he also told them of friendship's demands. He, he, he didn't just say, here, I'm giving you myself in Holy Communion, I love you, and that's it. He also said, you are my friends if you do the things that I command you. So our Lord is our friend, but he's also a demanding friend. And by the way, this sort of refutes a lot of the Protestant errors. I, I don't know what Mr. Scrivener would have thought of this or Mr. Converse, the, the poet and the, and, the, and the hymnographer, respectfully, respectively, but um, the Protestant doctrine of um, faith only uh, would basically say that, that Christ cannot demand of us that we keep his commandments. <laughs> so anyway, that's a little apologetical aside. But um, we are we are Jesus's friends if we do the things that he commands us. So therefore, the corollary to that is if we fail in a major way, if we fail in a significant way to keep the commandments, in other words, if we commit grave sin, if we commit mortal sin, we destroy the life of grace in us and we lose the friendship of Jesus Christ. Now, to somebody to whom that means a lot, uh, that's a horrifying reality. And we ought to cultivate in our own souls a desire to, keep, to have and to keep Jesus Christ as our friend and as our best friend. Um, as I'm saying the word friend over and over again, it's dawning on me that the word friend is probably used mostly today in the context of idiotic conversations about Facebook. And if anything isn't friendship, it's what happens on Facebook, where you can friend somebody and unfriend him, uh, somebody who lives halfway across the world, um, who, who you've never met, just by clicking something, suddenly you're friends. This is the cheapest friendship there could possibly be. Um, but anyway, moving right along. Uh, I'm going to read to you from a, a, a theology book that I've got that, that uh, Brother Francis used when, when um, we were studying grace, and when he taught me the, the theology of grace. It's by uh, Monsignor Joseph Poli, uh, Ph.D. D.D., and it was ad adopted by, adapted rather, by another theologian named Arthur Preuss. Um, so it, it appears as uh, Poli Preuss, P-O-H-L-E hyphen P-R-E-U-S-S, -S, two, two German names. Um, but uh, in, in that uh, book, he explains how one of the effects of grace is divine friendship, friendship with God. Um, the, he's listed several other effects of grace. The one right before it is he discusses grace as beautifying the soul. So there's a reference to it right at the beginning here. Um, closely connected with the beauty which sanctifying grace confers is the supernatural friendship it establishes between God and the soul. Uh, 
True beauty elicits love and benevolence. By nature, man is merely a servant of God. In fact, since the fall, he is his enemy. Something not spoken of much today, that we are born an enemy of God, an original sin. Sanctifying grace transforms this hostile relation into genuine friendship. By grace, says the Council of Trent, quote, a man of unjust becomes just and of an enemy a friend, end quote. And again, quote from Trent, having been thus justified and made the friends and domestics of God, etc., end quote. So in other words, and this is me, not Montagnapoli speaking, um, even the Council of Trent, that most dogmatic of councils, refers to uh, our Lord, refers to God as our friend, refers to one of the effects of grace or justification, sanctifying grace or justification, which are the same thing, one of the effects is to make us friends with God, whereas when we're not in justice, we're enemies, which tells us something about the, the true horror of mortal sin. It makes us enemies of the God who wants to be our friend. Continue with Monsignor Poli. God loves the just man as his intimate friend and enables and impels him by means of habitual grace and habitual charity to reciprocate that love with all his heart. Here we have the two constituent elements of friendship. The Bible frequently speaks of friendship existing between God and the just. So, for instance, the Book of Wisdom. They, the just, become the friends of God, end quote. And, of, and St. John chapter 15, verse 14 and following, I will not call you, I will now, I will not now call you servants, but I have called you friends. This friendship is sometimes compared to a mystic marriage, as in uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 15. And Jesus said to them, can the children of the bridegroom mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? End quote. And in the apocalypse, quote, the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife hath prepared herself, end quote. Now, the wife is the church, of course, and, and the relationship between Christ and the church is a nuptial relationship, a relationship between bride and bridegroom, and hopefully I'll have time for that uh, towards the end. Uh, continuing with Montagnapoli, friendship, philia in Greek, according to Aristotle, is, quote, the conscious love of benevolence of two persons for each other, end quote from Aristotle. Hence, to con- constitute friendship, there must be two or more distinct persons, pure love of benevolence, um, and I'm skipping the Latin, because only unselfish love can truly unite hearts. Mutual consciousness of affection, because without a consciousness of existing relation on both sides, there would be a merely one-sided benevolence, not friendship. It follows that true friendship is based upon virtue and that a relation and, and that a relation not based upon virtue can be called friendship in a qualified or metaphorical sense only. And he calls that amicitia utilis or delectabilis, which means a useful or pleasurable friendship. You're listening to Reconquest on the Crusade Premium Channel, part of the Veritas Radio Network. This is Brother Andre Marie, and we're talking about the friendship of Christ, the friendship of our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm reading right now from uh, Monsignor Joseph Poli's book, um, adapted by um, Arthur Preuss, uh, grace, habitual, and actual, and f- for um, just a, a little less than a page, I'm, I'm going to f- finish that, um, talking about friendship. What we have said is easily easy to deduce, excuse me, from what we said, is it is easy to deduce the essential characteristics of true friendship. They are, one, benevolence, 
Two, love consciously entertained by both parties. Three, a mutual exchange of goods or community of life. Four, equality of rank or station. The first condition is based upon the fact that a true friend will not seek his own interest but that of his friend. By selfishness or sensual desire, uh, uh, excuse me, it is to be noted, however, that one's joy at the presence or prosperity of a friend must not be inspired by selfishness or sensual desire. For in that case, there would be no true friendship. The second condition, which is, uh, again, love consciously entertained on both sides, um, is based upon the necessity of friendship being mutual love. For friendship is not a one-sided affection, nor does it spend itself in mutual admiration. Uh, by the way, the, the, there you go. The, um, when you consider the love of, between Christ and us, um, it's got to be two-sided to be true friendship. If we fail to reciprocate, if we, as our Lord says, if you, uh, you are my friends, if you keep the commandments I have given you, uh, that, that if there uh, implies something demanded of us, it's a two-sided affair. He has loved us. He loved us unto the end. And he, he even to the end of his life, even to the, to the, to the bitter, bitter, drinking the bitter chalice of his passion. That's his love. And it's proven to us, and we know that we have it, uh, when we are in the state of sanctifying grace, if we've lost it by mortal sin, when we're restored to it by confession. And when we know we're living a, a sacramental life, uh, then we can have confidence that we're in the state of sanctifying grace. Then we are his friend. We're, we're never going to question his friendship going away. He's not going to be a fair-weather friend. He's not going to pull out. Only we're, we're, the, we're the ones who are suspect of being um, uh, the losers in this. We're the ones who are going to back out if, if, if either party will do so. So the third uh, quality, the third condition necessary for love, again, is a mutual exchange of goods or community life. So Monsignor Pulley says that this condition is necessary for the reason that love, if it is to be more than merely platonic, must result in acts of benevolence and goodwill. The fourth condition, which is equality of rank or station, um, that's tricky, because how can we possibly have equal rank or station with our Lord? Well, that's why I gave the example earlier of the, of the condescension of Christ and the elevation by grace. St. Jerome says concerning this, says Monsignor Poli, friendship finds men equal or makes men equal. All these conditions are found in the friendship which Al- Almighty God deigns to honor those who are in the state of sanctifying grace. First, that God loves the just man with the love of pure benevolence and eagerly seeks his companionship is proved by the mysteries of the Incarnation and the Holy Eucharist. And he cites Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, and my delight is to be with the children of men. Uh, the, the, this, these are the words of wisdom in the, in the book of Proverbs. Wisdom says this, and my delight is to be with the children of men. And of course, our Lord is wisdom incarnate. Uh, Two, the just man is enabled to return God's love by the habit of theological charity, which is inseparably bound up with, with and spontaneously flows from sanctifying grace. God's, God's consciousness of this mutual love is, of course, based on certain knowledge, whereas man can have a, merely, uh, a, merely prob, a mere probability uh, of, excuse me, a merely probable conjecture. This, however, suffices to establish a true friendship, as the example of human friends shows. 
Um, third, there is also a community of life and property between God and men, when the latter, that is men, are in the state of sanctifying grace. For it is not, for not only is he indebted to God for his very nature and for all natural favors which he enjoys, but likewise and especially for the supernatural blessings bestowed upon him. On his own part, it is true, he cannot give his benefactor anything in return, which that benefactor does not already possess. But the just man is ever eager to further God's external glorification, agreeable to the first petition of the Our Father, hallowed be thy name. So we can hallow God's name externally, huh? We can't we cannot add this is Brother Andre, not um, not Monsignor Poli. We cannot add to God's glory intrinsically. We can add only to God's extrinsic glory, that is, to our fellow creatures and the sight of other men. Um even in the sight of the angels, we can extol God's greatness. Um, so he can be glorified, and we're called to glorify him. God has further given, continuing with Monsignor Poli, uh, God has further given him a kind of substitute of operative charity in the love of his neighbor, which has precisely the same formal object as the love of God. So our Lord tells us, Uh, rather St. John himself tells us in his first epistle, he that hath the substance of this world and shall see his brother in need and shall shut up his bowels from him, how doth the charity of God abide in him? So the theological virtue of charity has this uh, rather interesting attribute. And again, this is not Monsignor Pauli, this is me. The, The theological virtue of charity is that which allows us to fulfill the twofold precept that our Lord gave us in the new law, which is called the law of love, the law of charity. Um, that twofold precept, of course, is the love of God with all our heart, soul, mind, and will, and the love of neighbor as ourself for, for the sake of God. So it's a twofold precept love of God love of neighbor. And uh, uh, Catholic commentators and theologians compare this to the uh, two um, tablets of the old law. Uh, Tablets uh, one through, um, let's see, uh, one through four, um, no, one to three, uh, all directed us towards God. uh, Commandments one to three were on the first tablet, and they all direct us to the love of God. Um, the commandments 4 to 10 were on the second tablet, and those direct us towards love of neighbor. Commandments 4 to 10, again, pertain to, to, to the neighbor. So they situate us um, according to the charity that we ought to show to our fellow creatures. So again, tablet 1, love of God. Tablet 2, love of neighbor. Tablet 2 is 1 to 3. Commandments tablet two is commandments four to ten. <clears throat> Standard Catholic um, commentary on this subject. Uh, it's interesting that the twofold precept of charity is fulfilled by the exercise of the same operative virtue in our soul. What does that mean? The theological virtue of charity is that same faculty that that same that same power, you might say, working in our soul that allows us to love God supernaturally and allows us to love our neighbor supernaturally. There aren't four theological virtues, you know, faith, hope, charity, love of God, and love of neighbor. It's the same theological virtue by which we love God 
that we use to love our neighbor as well. So the point here, to emphasize what Monsignor Poli just said, is that if we don't have the love of neighbor, we don't have the love of God either. So friendship is kind of a practical thing. If we can be a good friend to a neighbor, if we can really love a neighbor and be a friend to him, then we uh, that that's kind of a sign that we are capable of having a friendship with God or that we're in, in the friendship of God. But if we're not practicing charity to our neighbor, it's a contrary sign that we don't that we don't love God, that the love of God is not in us. And this is why the rhetorical question of Saint Saint John, um, if we if if we deny giving somebody who has genuine need when we can, how doth charity, the charity of God abide in us? So again, it's a rhetorical question, but it, it, it assumes that uh, withdrawing from the love of, ma- of man, withdrawing from the love of neighbor, is also withdrawing from the love of God. And finally, the, the, four, the, the, the last paragraph in this that I want to read to you from Monsignor Poli, he says this, There can be no real equality between God and the human soul, but God in his infinite goodness elevating the soul to a higher plane and allowing it to participate in his own nature makes possible an amicitia excellentiae seu eminentiae, which is to say the friendship of excellence or of eminence, which is sufficient to constitute a true relation of friendship. Without this elevation of the soul by grace, there could be no friendship between God and man. And this is something that needs to be emphasized, especially in our day, when we deny, when 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 there's all sorts of naturalism that's crept into uh, people's religious ideas, including Catholics, and there's all sorts of uh, denial of original sin. Everybody's born good. Everybody's, you know, and, and then later on you sort of become a Hitler if you choose. No, we're all born enemies of God, and, and, and we're all conceived that way. Uh, this is why we need to be baptized. We need to have original sin taken out. We need to have, we need to have um, original sin taken out and replaced with, with sanctifying grace. This is why we get ourselves baptized, that and to be incorporated into the church. So this is not, you know, these things aren't optional, okay? And we can't, we cannot look at religion or the practice of the faith as merely a, a, a nice little extra, you know. There's, there's something great here. We'll just make it a little bit better by putting a nice hat on it. That's not what the faith is for. We are radically dependent upon God. We, we are born at enmity with him, and we need to have friendship put in place of that enmity, and that's what sanctifying grace does. Now, I want to shift gears here a little bit because I talked, I referred earlier how the concept of friendship has been totally misunderstood by modern man. We, we don't understand friendship. We don't value friendship uh, as it ought to be valued. And you see this particularly uh, in, in the way that people deliberately misunderstand um, classical friendships and historical friendships. Um, you'll, you'll see what I mean as I get a little bit more into this. I wrote a piece uh, called The Love of Masculinity years ago that I'm going to link from the show details page of Reconquest.net net for this episode number 116. And uh, I deliberately put an ambiguous name, the love of masculinity. Are we loving masculinity or is it the way men love each other? Well, it's both. (laughs) Uh, That's what I'm getting at. Um, So I'm not yet 50 years old, me here, Brother Andre. I'm not yet 50 years old. uh, So I hardly have a right to muse on how things were back in my day. Uh, However, some 
social degeneration uh, that we see, the, the devolution of society around us, is uh, working at such a fast pace that I can look back at how things were back when I was a kid and see how they've gone downhill since then. And I'm thinking of the homosexual agenda. I'm thinking of the um, you know LGBTQ LMNOP alphabet soup agenda um, that is. I I think um, there's a conspiracy angle here, but I won't dwell on that. Even if there weren't a conspiracy angle here, and people who are working behind the scenes as social engineers trying to stomp out the last vestiges of Christianity, certainly we have the demons working as the ultimate conspirators to try to destroy man, the enemies of mankind and the enemies of our salvation, working to perpetuate this disgusting and horrible sin and to legitimize it so that all the rest of us have very hedonistic concepts of um, sexual uh, relationships and, and human sexuality. Now, whether it be the effort to redefine marriage um, or the indoctrination of children in government schools with all manner of homosexualist propaganda, or the systematic queering of the military, uh, or the Boy Scouts for that matter, um, uh, this movement is moving apace uh, and very, very rapidly. Um, and they have a power considerably beyond their own numbers. This is considerably less than 2% of the population, uh, yet somehow they've become a major agenda. Uh, a subtler re reality, though, is that the more widespread degeneration of masculine is that of the more widespread degeneration of masculine friendship. Uh, I was reading a passage from the Return of the King uh, the other day, and this is when I wrote this years ago, uh, when it struck me how often men are said to love other men. And that in a very devoted way. Legolas, the elf, spoke of how Aragorn inspires love in all who know him. Many of the more noble male characters, including Sam and Frodo, the hobbits, are said to love each other. Surely the author was no homosexualist. Tolkien was describing in a very noble and beautiful way an ardent love of friendship between two normal men, or elves or hobbits, as the case may be. Um, these thoughts brought to my mind the cause celeb that occurred um, shortly before the beatification of John Henry Cardinal Newman. Uh, there were very camp assertions in the British press that Cardinal, the Cardinal was a homosexual. The claim was based upon a friendship that existed between Cardinal Newman and his longtime friend, Father Ambrose St. John. Um, so, for instance, Newman wrote thus of his recently deceased uh, friend, again, Father Ambrose St. John. So we're talking about two priests here. Uh, From the first, he loved me with an intensity of love which was unaccountable. At Rome 28 years ago, he was always so working for and relieving me of all trouble that being young and Saxon-looking, the Romans called him my angel guardian. As far as the world was concerned, I was his first and last. He was not intermitted. He has not intermitted this love for an hour up to his last breath. This is Cardinal Newman writing about another man, another priest. So shock and horrors, people think that this means that they must have been sodomites. The two were even buried next to each other, uh, and this caused a bit of a controversy when uh, Cardinal Newman's body had to be exhumed and buried uh, uh, away from um, Father Ambrose St. John, but I won't get into that. Um, skipping ahead here. Um, now, 
What some of the defenders of Cardinal Newman said was that in former times, there was a nobler ideal of friendship, and that two male friends could love each other very devotedly in a way that was not that is not so common now. In other words, the gratuitous assumption of the homosexual activists that Newman and St. John were queer was more a testimony to the low ebb of modern friendship than it is a critique of the moral character of Cardinal Newman and Father Ambrose St. John. But the Cardinal is certainly not alone as a victim of this interested historical revisionism. According to a certain degenerate reading of the scriptures, the relationship between such biblical figures as David and Jonathan is subject to the same interpretation. Alas, so is that of Jesus to his beloved disciple, St. John. I won't get into this uh, anymore, but um, uh, there's a lot of filth, uh, real filth, filth uh, and blasphemy that's been written by homosexuals uh, on this um, sort of homoeroticizing the relationship between our Lord and St. John. This is disgusting, and I'm sure that there's a particular pit in hell for people who say this and die unrepentant of it. Um, Is it the case that in place of what St. Thomas calls the love of benevolence, there now exists only the love of concupiscence? and that of the basest and most unnatural sort. If the answer is in the affirmative, then charity has grown cold, and the end times may soon be upon us. And because iniquity hath abounded, the charity of many shall grow cold. Our Lord said in Matthew 24 concerning the end times. Whether or not that is the case, we have work to do, and that work includes safeguarding what is true, good, and beautiful in friendship. If charity is not has not completely grown cold, it certainly has suffered a notable drop in temperature. Not all the blame for this falls on homosexuals, of course. If it did, their negligible numbers would make for an equally negligible effect. But we are seeing a pandemic phenomenon, which was observed above when I referred Uh, to the defense of Cardinal Newman. One of the signs of this increasing lukewarmness of charity is that normal men do not really love each other the way men did in more Christian and even in more humane times. Perhaps they are afraid to love one another lest they be branded perverts. But this fear cannot be the initial cause of the problem. Rather, it's part of a continuing downward spiral. The real problem runs runs much deeper. I'm sorry, I, I'm tripping all over myself. It's Lent, and I'm <laughs> and I'm observing the old fast, and I'm a little bit um, dopey right now. Um, the modern male stuck in the rut of adolescence has lost the concept of the love of benevolence, a love based upon the good of the other, and he has instead made the love of concupiscence the sole love that he knows. Let me repeat that. I italicized it in the thing when I wrote it, but uh, I think it bears repeating. The modern male, stuck in the rut of adolescence, has lost the concept of the love of benevolence, a love based upon the good of the other, and has instead made the love of concupiscence the sole love he knows. In many cases, this weak love is but an extension of his own narcissism, as if he might write, instead of the moving lines of Cardinal Newman, something like this, I like you because you gratify me in some way, and gratifying me is what I'm all about, end quote. 
add several buffoonish acronyms, abbreviations, and misspellings, and you have the definitive text of the modern male. The intimate male friendships of which we have been speaking are merely natural relationships. To be sure, they can and should be elevated by divine grace so that we love each other in Christ. But like other legitimate forms of love, they are natural to man. Taking into account the great truths that grace builds on nature and that Jesus Christ calls us to be his friends, we conclude that the modern male must cultivate the authentic love of friendship if he wants to be a Christian. Otherwise, how can he imitate uh, with Jesus Christ the man-God? How can he be intimate with Jesus Christ the man-God whom he receives in Holy Communion? So I think this is a serious problem in the spiritual lives of men today. If we cannot conceptualize the idea of intimately loving another man in a masculine way, a love, a true love of benevolence, and a love that is ardent and that can be expressed in ardent terms of, of true affection and, and, and love and, and concord, if we cannot express that love, if we cannot even conceptualize in our mind that love for another man without fear of you know, being thought of or even thinking of ourselves as a degenerate, as a queer, as a sodomite, if we cannot do that, how can we love Jesus Christ intimately? If we cannot conceptualize loving a man intimately, how can we love the man God intimately? And if we cannot love the man God intimately, we cannot love God intimately because Jesus Christ is the sole mediator between God and man. This is very dogmatic. If we cannot have friendship with a, with a man, if we men cannot have friendship with a man, then we can't have friendship with Jesus Christ, and therefore we cannot have friendship with God. So the theological virtue of charity, this points to the theological virtue of charity. Uh, and, if we th- and if we think of friendships between two men, serious, ardent friendships, not just being drinking buddies or, or, or you know, being profane and singing, singing body songs together, if we cannot think of, of this friendship being a true love, then we are not mature, we're barely Christian, we're sort of barbaric, and we're not really capable of living a Christian life and loving Jesus Christ. These are things that we must cultivate. Um, so I, I think it's part of the crisis in manhood and masculinity uh, that is with us today. Uh, as as I wrap up here, um, you're listening to Reconquest on the Crusade Premium Channel, part of the Veritas Radio Network. This is Brother Andre Marie, and we're talking about the friendship of Jesus Christ, the friendship of Jesus Christ, which, of course, um, is based upon sanctifying grace. It's based upon the condescension that Jesus accomplished in the incarnation, and it has as its meritorious cause Christ himself dying for us on the cross, as he himself said, greater love than this no man hath than to lay down his life for his friends. I want to, before I, I end, um, talk about another another little wrinkle in this whole concept of divine friendship, uh, friendship with Jesus Christ. 
Um, actually, before I do that, let me let me um, let me go back to that verse I just quoted and expand on it a little bit more. Our Lord tells his apostles in, in John 15. This is after he's given them the communion, after he's made them priests and bishops, uh, after he's commanded them to offer the holy sacrifice of the mass. He says in John 15 verses say 11 to 15. Quote, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be filled. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love than this no man hath, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do the things that I command you. I will not now call you servants, for the servant knoweth not what his Lord doth. But I have called you friends, because all things whatsoever I have heard of my Father, I have made known to you. So that last verse there, he's drawing this distinction between a servant and a friend. Um, An important man doesn't tell his servants all his plans. He doesn't tell him uh, all uh, all of his ideas. That's something he reserves for for men who are his equals. His servant is not his equal. Qua servant, the servant is not his equal. Keep in mind, we believe in a hierarchical society. I'm not talking about slavery or forced servitude or anything like that. I'm talking about the relationship that exists between a master and a servant, and it is a relation of a superior to a subject. This is perfectly normal, perfectly legitimate, perfectly biblical, perfectly Christian. So uh, as the relationship between master and servant, they are not equals. So the apostles were and remained our Lord's servants. But then he chose to call them his friends. He elevated them. Why? Because as he says here, I've told you all things that I've heard of my father. I've made them known to you. So he's revealed to us the truths of the religion. He's taught the apostles about the Trinity. He's taught the apostles about uh, the eternal destiny. He's given them the new law of charity. He's given them the Beatitudes. He gave them the Sermon on the Mount. He not only uh, let them hear him preaching his parables, but in, in private he explained to them what some of them meant so that they could later teach other people. It's based upon the knowledge of Jesus Christ and the knowledge of the mind of the Eternal Father that we become friends of Jesus Christ. That's to be remembered, too. It is entirely supernatural, and it's got to have faith. It's got to start with faith. Without faith, you don't have charity. Without faith, you don't have hope. Without faith, you don't have charity. So you have to have that faith. You have to have had revealed to you by Jesus Christ— what the Eternal Father taught him to reveal to men in order to be his friend. Now, there's another little thing in the, in the five minutes remaining. I'm going to talk about another little wrinkle in friendship. Um, St. John the Baptist, uh, earlier in the same uh, Gospel of St. John, we have a, a, a reference to friendship. Uh, St. John the Baptist says this, uh, when the people came to, to St. John, um, and they were expressing, when his disciples came to John and expressed their upset that it seemed that Jesus was, was um, stealing all the attention from John. Uh, and they said, you know, that, 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 that man that was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you gave testimony, behold, he baptizes and all men come to him. So they're almost jealous for the glory of their master. 
So this is how John answered them. A man cannot receive anything unless it be given him from heaven. You yourselves do bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who standeth and heareth him rejoiceth with joy because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. Now, you can find many beautiful commentaries uh, on this on this line. I, I love the he must increase, but I must decrease thing. That was literally fulfilled a couple of different ways in, 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 in St. John and our Lord. Um, but the what I want to focus on is that John called himself the friend of the bridegroom. Our Lord is the bridegroom. The church is the bride. St. John is the friend of the bridegroom. What does that mean? It's, it's, it's what we would now call the best man. The friend of the bridegroom was to first century Jewish weddings what the best man is in our modern day weddings, only he was a lot more. He made all of the arrangements. He was, during the time of the betrothals, something of an intermediary between uh, the, the, the um, espoused uh, partners, between the, the future husband and wife. Uh, because they would have had less social interaction with each other, uh, given the modesty of of the customs of the times. Um, so he did an awful lot, and not only that, he performed functions at the at the wedding, and then even after. And I won't go into detail because some of it's a little bit um, on the on the intimate side. But uh, he stood outside of the tent. Uh, and um, to 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 put it in, in 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 very modest terms, he heard the voice of the bridegroom wooing his bride, and when he heard that voice, he rejoiced, and then he left. Right. So the job of the friend of the bridegroom, the best man in these Jewish weddings, and at least in first century Palestine, was to see to it that everything was taken care of even to the point of ushering them to the tent, standing outside, and when he's heard the voice of the bridegroom expressing uh, joy, um, he standeth and heareth him, to use St. John's words, he rejoiceth with joy because of the bridegroom's voice. Now, um, in in the little more than a minute that I have remaining, I want to reflect a bit on the vocation of a brother. So I'm a brother. I'm not a priest. I'm just a brother, as I like to say, not a priest. Um, but uh, and and many religious and of course uh, priests too, to some degree, uh, think of their terms, think of their vocations in terms of nuptials. Religious sisters love to refer to themselves as. Um, our Lord's brides, and they should. Uh, Saint Therese of Lisieux did this. Uh, it's all over her her autobiography, the story of a soul, uh, and and it's very co- it's commonplace for uh, nuns and religious sisters to refer to themselves as Christ's brides, and they're sort of a symbol of the church, which is Christ's big bride. Um, and, and priests, of course, participate in the nuptials in a different way, in a, in a priestly way, by bringing about, by sort of regenerating the church, by participating with Christ the head in the creation of new members. But what about brothers? Where do we fit into this whole nuptial thing? How does this work for us? We're the friends of the bridegroom. We, 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 don't, we don't make new, new uh, uh, Christians 
at the font of baptism. Uh, and we can't, you know, to call yourself the bride of Christ is kind of weird for a man. We're his friends. We're his friends. And we can point to, to him. Look, we can look at other people and point to Jesus Christ and say, Behold the Lamb of God. And we can lead people to the sacraments, even if we can't give them the sacraments. You'll listen to Reconquest on the Crusade Premium Channel, part of the Veritas Radio Network. God bless and may we keep you.